Let's pray for Sam. Lord, thank you for Sam. Thank you for his ministry here. We pray that you'll flow through him by your spirit and uh, speak to our hearts and inspire us to move forward together in this year ahead. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm just going to get some serious dad points for holding my baby as I preach. <laughs> this, is how I, this is how we are all the time. Don't worry about it. Um, good. I'm going to try not to be distracted. Hey, Matt, do you want to say hello? Me. <laughs> Very good. Um, happy New Year, everyone. If you're new here, it's great to see you. Um, I hope you have a lovely time here this morning. Um, if you're not new here, it's average to see you um, and stuff. Happy New Year. Um, anyone still keeping their resolu- New Year's resolutions for the year? Hands up. Hands up if you know the person next to you has already broken theirs. <laughs> um, well, Happy New Year anyway. I, I feel like I'm kind of at the stage where I get to a new year and kind of think, oh, man... You know, when I was a bit younger, I feel like I had a bit younger. I'm still quite young, but a bit more expectation about a new year. Do you know what I mean? New year meant new possibilities. Now it just means it's January again um, and kind of back to work. Um, But yeah, so good. Um, But um, as kind of church leadership, we were thinking, where do we want to go at the beginning of this year? Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to spend eight or nine weeks together looking at one word. Okay, And that word is together. Ooh, isn't that inspiring? Is that exciting? Does it make the blood course through your veins? We're looking at the word together uh, because we're, we were never called to be solo saints. Um, that's kind of a classic phrase that gets used in preachers, isn't it? We're never called to do that. We're never called to do this Christian thing, this following Jesus thing on our own. We're called to do it together. And actually, there's so much that the, that the Bible, that Jesus has to say about our life together. Um, the way that church is isn't a supplemental extra to becoming a Christian. It's a core part of what God has called us to. And actually, how we are together, who we are together, how we function together, how we love one another, how we listen to each other, um, how we care for each other, how we pray together, how we serve together, these things are hugely, hugely important. And so as we come into this new year, we thought, wouldn't it be great if we spent eight or nine weeks just investing in that idea that we're in this together and how are we going to go through this year and be church together? Does that sound good? Great. Um, it's, yeah, like I said, it's super important. Um, in the prayer that, uh, that Nige read earlier, we're in John 17, if you have a Bible or a phone or something to look at um, a Bible on. Uh, we're in John chapter 17. Um, and basically, in... John's Gospel, um, there's kind of some really big chunks in it where Jesus spends a long time talking about stuff. It's quite a hard Gospel just to read because um, some of the speeches are quite long. Um, And we're at the end of Jesus having basically just talked for 14, 15, 16, 17, four chapters. Um, And it's this last night with his disciples before he's going to be betrayed and then on trial um, and then obviously found guilty and uh, and hung on a cross. Um, And he knows that's coming, and it's his last night with his disciples. So in John 13, he has the meal with them and washes their feet. Well, we infer he had a meal with them. Um, And he washed their feet and said, love one another as I have loved you. And then John 14, he answers some of their kind of crucial questions. And and then John 15, 16, 17 is kind of his parting advice and words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. So we're kind of thinking now, if this is your last night with your 12 disciples, who your plan is that they will be the ones who redeem and save the world, the stuff you share, the stuff you think about, the stuff that's on your mind on the last night is going to be kind of important important to you, right? 
This is not time for incidental extras. This is not time for, by the way, remember to blah, blah, blah. This is, hey, guys, this is what's really, really important. This is what's going to define your lives. And then Jesus prays at the end of that kind of spiel in chapter 17. Like Nigel read earlier, he prays first for himself, that God will glorify him and he'll be able to glorify the Father um, and that um, God will give him strength for the coming days and trials. Um, Then he prays for his disciples who are in the room and they're listening. Um, And so he, he prays for them. And then the third part of his prayer is he prays for us. Isn't that cool? The, the, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was thinking ahead this far to this very room, maybe. Um, and he was praying for everyone who believed because of the message of the apostles, which is us. Hello. Um, and his prayer for us is this. I'm going to read it again. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples. So I'm not just praying for them. My, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father. Isn't that interesting? That's where he goes first. Just as you are in me and I am in you, <laughs> you should never try and jo- uh, like draw out the way John talks about things. It's just too confusing. Father in son, son in father, us in the father, in the son, but then them in us as well. It's just confusing, but just allow the images to kind of shape your mind a little bit. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, or complete oneness, would also be a fine translation, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Do you get the flavor of that prayer? And all the things that Jesus could have prayed about for us. Does that make sense? Like, Jesus could have prayed anything for his church. He could have prayed, Lord, please don't let them screw up the theology side of things. Please let them be dogmatically sound. He didn't pray that. He he could have prayed, Lord Jesus, please um, give them all the power and anointing and fire to do great miracles so that everyone will know that you sent me. He doesn't pray that. Where Jesus' mind is is the together life of his church. Because for some reason, that seems super important. Okay, we're basically just going to look at a few observations of this passage. We might even, though I sometimes say this and it doesn't happen, we might even finish a bit early. None of you believe me, (laughs) but that's fine. I'll, I'll try and win you over. A few observations from this passage, this amazing prayer of, of Jesus for us. Firstly, the first thing that occurs to me is this. Together life is tough. Now, the reason I said that is this. Jesus is clearly looking around at his followers and looking ahead at the other people who might come to follow him and think, if these guys are going to be one, that's going to take a miracle. I'm going to have to pray about that. Not just pray about it. I'm going to have to pray about it three times because, man, goodness, this is going to be tough. Like, if you look around at his disciples, these weren't exactly like, (laughs) they weren't always best pals. I don't know if you ever read the Gospels, but there's normally about five minutes between serious hissy fit and fight. And they're always squabbling about who's the best, who's the greatest. It's always about me and not really about us. Um, You've got in there people with completely different political perspectives who probably have widely different 
different uh, opinions on how the church should look, how the kingdom should look. Um, so you've got zealots who are like passionate about overthrowing the government. And then you've got tax collectors who've made their money off uh, cooperating with the government. And they're all kind of in the same room and they don't normally get along that well. And then you've got James and John who Jesus nicknames the sons of thunder with, for the simple reason that they were really angry all of the time, basically. Incidentally, was it one of them who wrote this? Was John one of the sons of thunder? As in John, this John. Yeah, Nigel's just looking less sure than some of you, but we're going to say, yeah, what a cool transformation, right? I just wanted to check that before I uh, made that. But then, so, so, he's, so he's looking around, looking at them and saying, Father, if this is going to work, we're going to need some serious divine intervention to help them to be one. Sure enough, it's hard in the early church, isn't it? It takes about five minutes or so in the New Testament for this wonderful new church um, with a resurrected, risen king behind it to start bickering about all sorts of random things and having fights. If you want to read basically a book of church fights, read 1 Corinthians. And in it, Paul is basically trying to put out fires in a local church that had found everything possible to disagree with about each other and they made everything about themselves and their together life was a mess. Everything was about gossiping and rivalry and... Uh, competing, and I, my spiritual gift is better than your spiritual gift, and it's just a mess. Their relational life was a total mess. And at, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, or near the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to them, and he's, he talks like this, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united. Isn't that cool? Paul's heart for them, this messed up church full of divisions and complications, was that you may be united in mind and thought. And then immediately afterwards, he says this, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And then the whole rest of 1 Corinthians follows um, and all the mess that they've made of their together life. And if we look through church history, we see the same thing, don't we? Church life together is hard. That's why there's so many quarrels and splits and divisions in the church. And probably if I went round this room and asked all of us, has anyone here ever been hurt by someone in the church? Has anyone ever, ever felt hurt by someone in the church? Probably we would all say yes, I think, in some way. Or disappointed in the church. Or undermined by the church. Isn't that so sad? In Alpha, recently, there was someone on my table and we were chatting about the church. And she was saying, actually, she was like, hey, I'm a, I'm a serious believer in Jesus. But every time I go to a local church, you get there and there's this veneer of kind of commonality and love and worship and then the word and it's all lovely and anointed. And she says, but you hang around a few weeks and you see under the surface, this is just all the same issues as everywhere else. And for her, she lost faith in the church. And so she wanted to kind of go it alone, do solo sainting, um, because she, didn't, she couldn't see how a church could be really authentic, could be really one. Isn't that so tragic? And yet we all, we all know it, don't we? Some of you are here because you, had to, because you left churches that were painful, because you left churches that hurt you. Um, some of you will leave this church because we No, I'm kidding. Please don't. But we, reality is we've all been hurt by the church. Also, the reality is we've probably all caused damage in the church, haven't we? 
probably all of us have spoken either to people or behind their backs or undermined Nigel's leadership or uh, something about... No, again, we would never do that, Nigel. But all of us are both victims and perpetrators, right? And so together life is really hard. It's really hard. Just look around the room. These are a hard bunch of people to get along with. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> You're like, ooh. <laughs> I mainly mean me. <laughs> So, together life, first thing, together life is tough. That's why Jesus needed to pray for it. Secondly, together life is crucial. This is Jesus' last night, and the thing that's on his heart is that they may be together. And then he goes on. He says, to, he says like this. He says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Isn't that interesting? Not, may they preach the gospel to let the world know that you sent me. That would have made so much more sense, wouldn't it? May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Means that um, the message that we carry as the church isn't just the words that come out of our mouths, but is the lives that we live in this room together. That's what carries the message of of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Are you all a bit asleep or are we okay? (laughs) I'm not asleep, so I'm just enjoying myself. So this is really, really, really important. Together is crucial because the message of Jesus is not just carried by words. Great, I've already said that. And that means that this whole thing isn't even possible alone. It's not something that we could do alone to spread the message of Jesus. It has to be through love because the message is a message of love. It has to be through self-givenness to the other because our message is a message of self-givenness to the other. It has to be through unity because it comes from the, Jesus making us a one. God always, 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 always uses community to get his will done in the world. So if you remember, way back to page one, Genesis 1, and creation is happening, and God's created the world, and on the sixth day, he creates man. And then in kind of a little bit later, in the kind of second telling of the story, it tells it like this, that God created the man in the garden to work and to keep it. And the, the image there is God wants his rule and his values and his love to be made apparent in the world by humanity, by this Adam that he has created. And so, commissions Adam to be the one who creates and and continues the will of God on earth. But then he looks at Adam and says, wait, this isn't right. It is not good for the man to be alone. And so he creates a team, (laughs) Adam and Eve, um, a helper. But um, Adam and Eve, co-equals, let's just go there right straight away, Um, co-equals in bringing the kingdom of God into the world. In other words, on page one of the Bible, you've got a team. It's better for a team than a solo, right? And then later on, when, when, God's, when, the, when we've made a royal hash of everything, um, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, this guy, and says, I'm going to use you to redeem the world. But it turns out he's not just going to use Abraham. In fact, Abraham didn't do that much in the grand history of salvation history. Um, what he did was make a family. He used Abraham's family because it's through family, it's through relationship that God is going to redeem and save the world. And then later on, he doesn't just bring Moses out of Egypt and say, Moses, you're going to save the world. Instead, he brings a people out of Egypt and redeems them and calls them as a people together and says, I'm giving you this law so that you model the life of God among you so that people around will see in your community life, in your together life, what 
what living for God can look like and how healthy and how vibrant and how whole that can be. And obviously that goes really well. Um, and then Jesus comes, and it, it, Jesus doesn't even look to do stuff on his own. Yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, he's the king. But the first thing he does, basically, is call a bunch of guys around him and mentor and nurture them into being a community who together model um, the love and self-givingness and sacrifice of, of, of God. Isn't that amazing? It's always through together life. And that means, guys, that if we fail in our together life, if we fail in our interrelated life, then we basically fail everywhere. That means that this is absolutely crucial. If the world is going to see the message of Jesus as true, then it needs to see a church that is love. It needs to see a church that is together. It needs to see a church that has no rivalry and pettiness and gossip and slander and has instead just total love and appreciation for the other. It's tough. (laughs) It's really tough. But the third thing, The third thing I see in this passage is this. Together is possible. Together is possible. Now, that means that we can experience more of it. Now, I I feel like in this church, uh, we can experience more of it. Jesus says this. He says, just as you are in me. So he's talking to his father now. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then he says, May they, I've given them the glory that you gave me. So Jesus has said, Father, the glory that you gave me, I have given to these guys who are going to believe in me. Cool. That's good, isn't it? We've got the glory. Yeah. <laughs> that they may be one as we are one. And then he says, I in them and you in me. Now, John writes in such a way as to try and confuse everyone immediately. Um, So let's unpack that just just very briefly. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are are one. Do you see that? That Jesus is is praying that we may be one as who is one? As As the Son and the Father are one. Isn't that interesting? That the unity that he prays for in the church is grounded fundamentally in the unity in God. Is that cool? See, the Bible talks about um, God as being, and those of us who are already Christians in the room, um, believe in God who is one, yes, one, fine, good. One, one. Three, of course. (laughs) And to those of us who are weird, that makes perfect sense. God is both three. He's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is one. And his relationship together with himself is absolute and total. And the Bible um, gives this picture of God eternally as Trinity. Now, if you think about it like this, that means before the beginning of the universe, before time itself, there was one thing. And that thing was community. That thing was interrelated love. And the Trinity is, is painted as this thing where the Son gives everything over to the Father, and the Father gives everything over to the Spirit, and the Spirit gives everything over to the Son, and it's complete um, mutual honoring. It's complete mutual abandonment. And it's as if like the Son loves the Father and the Spirit so much that he doesn't think at all about himself. He just prefers the will of the Father and the Spirit. And that's totally vulnerable, totally vulnerable, but totally safe, because the Son knows the Father totally totally loves him and the spirit totally loves him. And so there's this mutuality. It's kind of described by lots of theologians as like a dance of love. It's an interrelatedness. It's a community of total health and total 
beauty. Does that make sense? Isn't that awesome? That the foundation of the, the whole thing is love. Um, there was an old German guy really old, called Meister Eckhart. If you want to be taken seriously, get a name like that, Meister Eckhart. Um, and he put it like this. Now, this is a poem. It's not academic theology and like, duh, 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 duh. so don't try and like pick holes in it. Just allow it, okay, for a moment. You ready? This is going to be weird. This is how he describes the Trinity. He says, um, he, I think it was in a sermon one time, he said, do you know what goes on in the core of the Trinity? I will tell you. <laughs> If you want to, <laughs> it's quite an overconfident statement, but it, it, so let's follow him. I will tell you, in the core of the Trinity, the Father laughs and gives birth to the Son. The Son laughs back at the Father and gives birth to the Spirit. The whole Trinity laughs and gives birth to us. Isn't that beautiful? Is that totally weird? <laughs> Now, again, he's not saying this is how it happened. What he's saying is the inner life of the Trinity is one of total joy and total abandonment to the other and total delight in each other. And then everything that we see and experience in the universe is an outflow of that love, of that delight, of that passion, of that Trinity, of that flow. Does that make sense? Isn't that awesome? That then what, what, what Jesus is looking for in the church isn't some new random idea that suddenly we should get along. It's the oldest idea in eternity. That actually the community that we're designed to represent is the community of God. And if everything flows out of that community love, then that gives us a hope of living something of it out, doesn't it? Because we were created by that love, by that self-givenness, by that, by that delight. And that, guys, that, this is awesome. Because that means that whenever we model love with each other, whenever we model kind of together life really well, we're not just modeling, hey, we're a church who's nice and so we've got credibility. We're modeling in ourselves the inner life of the Trinity. That's why, he's, that's why Jesus says like this. He says that they may be one as we are one. And then he says, I in them and you in me. Now, so, so kind of follow this. So all of us one. So kind of picture everyone in the middle here is all one. There's total unity here. And then Jesus says, when that happens, I can be here and the Father in me. In other words, when we are unified, we become a place where God can be in, a, in, a, in an amazingly clear way. Is that, is that cool? Do you want to be a place where God dwells in power? Yeah, or like Ephesians puts it like this. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, in, in Jesus, the whole body is being built together. So there's this present tense process. Paul recognizes we're not there yet, but we are being built together, and the whole body rises to become a holy temple in which God dwells by his Spirit. Does that make sense? As we are built together, as we become the church of togetherness that God loves and craves, we become a place where his spirit feels really, really at home. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that such a cool opportunity? And as well as seeing all the, all the challenges in the early church, we also see that reality play out in the early church, don't we? So at the end of Acts chapter 2, um, it says all the believers were totally one together and they had everything in common and they met together regularly and they prayed together regularly and they broke bread together regularly. And what did they see? They saw the Lord adding to their number daily 
those who are being saved. There's a sense that when we get togetherness right, we become a place where the power of God can dwell. Or look at Psalm 100, I think it's 133. Um, it's the kind of the unity psalm. It says, how, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Now, again, the psalmist could have just stopped there or kind of you know, used some nice analogy about how, how lovely it is when you feel like you're one together. But interestingly, where the psalmist goes, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, by the way, just everyone, when we, when God's people dwell together in unity, he says, it's like, what does he say? It's like oil, I need, I need the exact reference. But he goes, he goes for the language after this. He goes for the language of anointing. Let's go there. It's like precious oil on the head running down upon the beard. In other words, together life is also really messy and smells a bit. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordains his blessing. Does that make sense? When there's unity, when there's together life done well, that's where the anointing of God is. That's where his power is. The flip side is true. When we do it badly, when we don't invest in our lives together, when we damage each other, when we hurt each other, when we speak behind each other's backs, we undermine the, the authority and the anointing of God on us as a body. Is that heavy? That's heavy? That's good, isn't it? Because that means that there's this job for us to do to be one and that in being one, we're not to be a holy huddle. We're not to just be one as opposed to everyone else. Separate ourselves off. We know it's not about that. It's about healthy oneness. Like the oneness of the Trinity that when it's done really well, what happens when all three laugh together is they give birth to something. It reaches out. It creates. It's new. It's new life happens. It's anointing. It's fullness. Does that make sense? Jolly Good. Now, I'm encouraged by two things. Firstly, that it, this is a reality that's seen at points in the early church. And it's, it's a hope that's held in the early church. But I'm also, frankly, I'm really encouraged to be able to talk on a message like this with this church. Because I see this stuff all the time here. Even in the last year, I've seen the generosity of individuals in this church and of this church as a whole and how people rally behind someone who's in need. And I flipping love it. I've seen people support each other through really, really long-term rubbish and just stand alongside each other and, and support one another. So I think that's so great, isn't it? I've seen people who've come to this church and be genuinely included and involved and welcomed as part of the family. And that's so great. And I've so I feel like that we're, we're there. We're there, but there's more. Does that make sense? We're there, but there's more. There's, there's, there's really positive aspects of together life here, but there's more. And the more doesn't come that easily. Together life is difficult, and it costs us something. We have to decide to invest in it. Good community in this room, in this church, won't happen by itself, and it won't happen by accident. It will happen when we choose to invest together in our life together. I was really struck by the, the word that Stevie just brought about the ingredients of dough, uh, the ingredients of bread in a bowl, and what they needed was to be mixed together. And he, he kind of spoke about that as parts of our life, parts of an individual's life. That, that's awesome. But I also think the analogy rings really true of us together of the flour and the yeast and the water. And on their own, what they have to do is to abandon their right to be their own thing, to become something more. 
right? The flower has to lose its ability to be flower and become part of one, oneness with everything. Um, the yeast has to kind of give itself to the rest of the dough and be- turn itself into, gosh, I don't know the science. Do you get my point? We have to, there's this, there's this abandoning of self out of which comes something so beautiful like bread. Oh, how good is bread? Um, love it. So this year, we're going to start by doing like eight or nine talks on together. We're going to look at how we are together in mission, how we're together in prayer, how we're called to be together in ministry, and we all need everyone's gifts, um, how we're called to be together when life is really rubbish, how we're called to be together when uh, actually we're being a bit rubbish and people need to challenge us, um, how together life can be um, toxic sometimes and how we can um, avoid some of the risks of what life together can be like. Um, but we're just going to really invest in this because we really believe that if we go to the next level of this, there's also the next level um, of God's anointing and God's presence um, that we can see. So I don't know what this looks like for you this year, um, but maybe there's a sense in which we all need to think, how am I invested in the together life of this church? How am I, um, how am I currently and what is Jesus asking of me this year? And for some of us, it might just be like, actually, if I'm in town, I'm going to make it on a Sunday. I'm going to be a part of this uh, gathering together. I'm going to stay around afterwards if I can and actually have a cup of tea with someone I don't know. And, and just r- that kind of really everyday level, um, just building this thing in. Maybe it's actually I'm a part of a house group, sort of. And this year, I'm going to really invest in my house group and be, be with people in a room every other week who can know me and walk with me um, and, and who I can pray with and who I can pray for when they're not there. Or maybe it's I'm going to have people around for Sunday lunches. You can have me around for Sunday lunch anytime you like. So just offering you that chance to grow in this amazing calling. Maybe it's um, a financial thing. Maybe it's about committing to this group or whatever in a financial regular way. We would love that. We want to do more this year. And and to do that, we need to be in this together um, financially. Uh, So maybe it's about thinking, actually, am I a part of this together life with my wallet? Um, Or if not, maybe. Or maybe I haven't looked at that for a while. Whatever. Again, this is a really generous church, so I don't say that in any way. <laughs> um, you, good, I just said that. Maybe it's about serving. Maybe there's an area that you feel called to or that you feel like God is stirring in you, but you've never really put yourself out and served the community. Actually, we need all of us, don't we? We need all of us to be serving and, and loving and giving um, to make this whole thing happen. Um, there's one other thing. Well, I mean, there could be loads of things that God's asking of you. But there's one other thing that I'd like to talk about just briefly, and that is this. We have this, uh, for a while we've been thinking, okay, is there a gap in the way that we do our together life as a church? So there's Sundays, and there's loads of people in this room, but it's quite easy to come on a Sunday and not really kind of open up about what's really going on in the depth of your life. Like, you probably don't know everyone in this room and all the issues that they're facing, right? It's too big an environment. In fact, in house groups, um, house groups are awesome, and I love my house group, but we meet every two weeks, and there's kind of you know, sometimes there'll be 10 of us in a room. Well, not all 10 of us can talk about all that's going on in our lives and actually really pray for each other in that time. So we thought, wouldn't it be great if everyone in the church just met with two other people each month? So there's like these little triplets in the church where people meet together once a month, whenever suits you, and just talk about life together 
and pray for each other. And that, that, then there's this way of being really genuinely known, really walking over a long period of time with just a couple of other people. Um, for want of a better word, we've called them discipleship groups. Yeah because we're good at branding. So it's kind of a say-what-you-see title. Uh, we want this to be something that kind of encourages us but also pushes us on in life. How's your journey with God going? Where would you like it to be in six months? How's your career going? What's going on? Every part of life um, is a part of discipleship, isn't it? Um, and so um, we've got a bunch of these. And what this basically is, is if you want to and you find a couple of other people to meet with, um, we're not going to organize you f- them for you, by the way. You need to find people to meet with. There's just some questions in here to help you have conversation together uh, that you can kind of help think through together. And you, you'll probably just do one or two questions in a session. So um, we're really going to talk about these a lot over the next couple of months because we would like you to try it. We would like you to uh, think, who are a couple of people who I could really journey with? It might be a couple of people that you're really close to, or it might be uh, a couple of people that you're not that close to, uh, but you will be close to them after a little while. Does that make sense? Awesome. This is a, None of you said yes, but I'm just going to assume that you all meant yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And so this is available, and we'll be badgering you about that for a long time to come. Awesome. Good. In a moment, we're going to pray. Um, then we're all going to hold hands and sing Bind Us Together to the Lord. <laughs> all the introverts run for the door. <laughs> in fact, everyone would run for the door, I think, if we actually did that. We're not going to do that. But in a moment, uh, we're going to pray. Let's just have the, the words of... Uh, Psalm 133 again let's just uh, be quiet Holy Spirit would you speak to us through these words now how very good and pleasant it is when kindred brothers sisters the church live together in unity it's like precious oil on the head running down upon the beard on the beard of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. As Jesus prayed, let's kind of use this prayer over us as well. I pray for all who believe that all of them may be one. Jesus said it like this, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to perfect, complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So Father, we pray that you would make us one. I pray that you'd encourage everyone in this room, um, with all the ways that you see this already happening. Lord, I want to pray for everyone um, in this room who, who's been hurt by the church. And for some of us, that will be uh, kind of trivial stuff. And for some of us, that will be really, really serious and really cutting deep. Lord, we pray that you give us the blessing of forgiveness. I pray that you help us to find a way um, to real unity and oneness. pray that those of us who are aware that we've hurt someone in the church, where we've actually contributed to disunity, Lord, we ask for your mercy. We pray that we would together find a way through. Lord, I want to pray for for us as a church that whenever people look at us, they wouldn't see the veneer of oneness, but actual oneness, actual unity. Lord, that we come looking like a pretty bizarre bunch of people 
And yet that's where you command the blessing. This is where you command the blessing. So Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us today and help us to be one as you are one. Amen.